did you think you got rid of me? Did you? Did you think, finally, we've, uh, we've seen off the wittering goon who, uh, who invades our email inboxes on a now not especially regularly weekly basis with uh, with some prime wittering did you think did you think it was o- it was over <clears throat> did you think I should have cleared my throat before I started recording this I'm beginning to think I should have but it's too late for all that welcome to episode I'm gonna guess and say 20 let me check that I can't check it I don't have a technical facility to, to check it nor do I have a producer to wave at me through the glass and tell me whether I'm right or wrong. I'm going to say it's episode 20. Um, oh, sorry, did you want a uh, description of my physical location? Uh, let's, let's just say I'm standing beneath some sort of coniferous-type trees uh, with, with cones, which are green when on the branch, uh, drop to the ground when brown. They're about the size of... Um, a large marble or an absolutely tiny golf ball too small really to play with um, bigger no smaller than a squash ball um, larger though than a sheep dropping so I hope that gives you some size some indication of the size of these pine cones if you tread on them in bare feet they're very very painful I've done that a few times I've uttered curses and blasphemies. I'm not proud to say that, but, you know, I don't hide things from you on here. On episode possibly 20 of First Draft, which isn't a podcast, it's just an audio message. Um, Yeah, so that's the tree. The tree is located in the garden of a house built in 1905. It says 1905 above the door. Um, There are some cicadas, that's what I call them people around here are calling them a different thing. I'm on the island of Crete. Crete. A uh, little bit of Greek for you there. I've been, I've been speaking some Greek while I've been here. Uh, those of you who pay any attention uh, may know that I've been trying to learn modern Greek for the last 768 days via Duolingo. 768 being my current streak. That's the obsessive work of a madman. Um, It's going okay. I can now make myself understood in simple conversations in shops and restaurants. Um, Someone was polite enough the other day to ask if I actually was Greek. I know they didn't mean it, but I took it as a compliment. Um... I've been learning the names of insects. For example, the ladybird is called the Pascalitza. Pascalitza? Pascalitza? I think it's to do with Easter. Apparently they come out at Easter. Like, so imagine the Easter bunny, only not a bunny, um, but a tiny insect with spots on its back that brought you, I don't know, what would the Easter ladybird bring you? I guess aphids. Imagine if... Imagine... <laughs> Imagine if the the solemn Christian festival of Easter to celebrate Christ's passion and resurrection um, had been fused with uh, northwest European 
paganism and postmodern capitalist garbage, but instead of coming up with a, a, a rabbit that delivered you chocolate eggs, they'd come up with, a, uh, with an insect <laughs> that, gave, <laughs> that gave your children aphids. <laughs> I don't know if that would go down so well. Has the Easter Pascalitza been, Mummy? Yes, and, and your bed is infested with aphids, I'm afraid. Why didn't, why didn't the ladybird... Ladybug, sorry, Americans. Why didn't the ladybird... Slash ladybug, slash Pascalitza. Why didn't he eat the aphids? They're, they're, they're famous for eating aphids, and gardeners like to have ladybird, slash ladybug, slash Pascalitza in their gardens to eat the aphids. I don't understand why in this... This strange, uh, this strange fictional ritual, um, the, 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 the Easter ladybird has given me aphids instead of eating them itself. Well, it's, it's a generous, I don't know, it's a generous ladybird. What are we talking about? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, what haven't I told you? You might hear a gurgling. That's the swimming pool. Hold on. You, you possibly just heard a child shouting at me. I'm going to pause this and get right back to you. So uh, I was just told by a child that somebody in their book is six foot three. The child is reading a book by a swimming pool. And apparently there's a character in the book who's six foot three. That being my... Well, this isn't, this isn't totally fixed. I, that being sometimes the height I give as my height. My true height we're not quite sure about is it six foot two is it six foot three is it agonizingly short of six foot three it's the latter it's agonizingly short of six foot three but that can change depending on the shoes so we go with six foot three um I've, i've said this many times before people are often surprised when they meet me in person they say oh my god i thought you were a short guy I mean, all of your, all of your published writing, uh, without directly addressing the subject, seems to suggest that you are below average height at best. Um, I can't believe you're above average height, somewhat. And yeah, that's a known thing. For a while, it was because, or I thought it was because I bear a passing resemblance to a children's TV presenter in the UK called Dom something, not Cummings. Uh, Dom from Dick and Dom in Dabungalow, whose signature um, catchphrase, signature catchphrase, doesn't, I don't need signature, do I? Whose catchphrase is, is bellowing the word bogeys. I don't know if that translates into American. It means um, boogers, I think you call that. Uh, congealed snot from within your nose. That's what Dom from Dick and Dom in Dabungalow is known for shouting. I myself am known as a, a, a relatively, as the author of relatively serious history books, among other things. Anyway, I thought that the reason people imagined I was, I was, I was a short guy was because Dom from Dick and Dom in the bungalow is a short guy. But really, over the years, I've learned that this is just what people assume about me. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do about it. Anyway, I see, 
I'd like to say I've been diverted from my my subject, but I don't really know if we've established a subject yet. Um, what's been going on? What's been going on in this crazy mixed-up world? Uh, well, thank you everybody who continues to subscribe to the old Substack. If you're a paying subscriber, man, I love you. If you're a if you're a sort of half-interested free subscriber, yeah, you're, you're okay. Thanks for thanks for going. Thanks for taking the first step in this journey. Uh, there's, there's 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 a bit more you could you could contribute, to be honest. Um, but I'll leave that up to you. Paying subscribers get to to join in. Oh, things like the old. Um, talk boards mainly and and comment threads which supply material for this audio post uh you get to you got an you got early dibs on the limited edition 1346 copy edition of essex dogs which the broken binding produced um on that actually something i should tell you is there there are two options now for getting <clears throat> or pre-ordering signed... Oh, I trod on a leaf. You might have heard that crunch. There are two options for... It was a dry leaf. Um, wet leaves don't really crunch. There are two options for getting pre-ordering signed editions of Essex Dogs when that comes out. The UK edition September 15th. The American edition's February something. Um... You can... International customers... I think the Broken Binding might have a few copies... You can try that. Uh, that's a, that's an independent British publishing company, uh, book retailer actually. The publishing company is Head of Zeus. Um, the Broken Binding are making a very very sexy limited edition uh, Essex Dogs numbered, got d- delicious like painted, not painted. What do you call it? Sprayed page edges. It's got some shiny stuff on the cover. It's going to be signed by me. So that, that's obvious, isn't it? Um, so that's one option. Uh, the other, you can currently get a half price. This is insane, actually. But you can pre-order at half price a non-numbered, non-special edition, signed, all the same, via WH Smith the UK High Street uh, book retailer. They sell other things too, often stamps you can buy in WH Smith, pens, a wide selection of pens actually. That would probably be my retailer of choice to buy a pen. Um, I'm not talking about a luxury pen, but I'm talking about a a functional everyday pen or or a set of Sharpies or a newspaper or, weirdly, a jigsaw puzzle. I'd buy all of those from W.H. Smith. What I might also buy, were I not the author of it, uh, is a half-price, pre-ordered, signed edition of Dan Jones's debut novel, Essex Dogs, set in the white heat of the Hundred Years' War, following a platoon of ordinary guys uh, from from a landing on the beaches of Normandy to the chaos of the Battle of Crecy. I might. I probably would. But like I say, I wrote it. I don't need to do that. I'm just telling you, okay? There's going to be some signed editions. They're currently pre-ordering at half price, but I think it's UK dispatch only by W.H. Smith. 
Everybody else, go for the super high lux, very limited edition, uh, broken binding copy. If you want a signed copy, if you don't, okay, that's fine. I'm not offended. I am offended, but you know, I, I'll probably get over it. What, 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 what are we talking about? Where did we leave this last? Um, I think we left it with me constantly saying, I'm going to get round to, uh, to talking through some of the comments on a really spicy old uh, thread from a couple of weeks ago. I was at the Chalk Valley History Festival, which is a super dope um, history festival down in Wiltshire. That's kind of southwest England, not far from Stonehenge. Um, have I told you my Stonehenge story about... Oh, no, I'm not allowed to. Um, but put that aside. There's a great Stonehenge story. Maybe I have told you. I can't remember. I don't think I should tell you, so I'm not going to tell you. There's a great Stonehenge story that I'm not going to tell you. That's, uh, that's the sort of tease you get on this, uh, this, this, this audio post. Uh, you are so welcome. Um, so while I was down at the Chalk Valley History Festival, which runs for a week every year in June, yes, uh, and there's loads of talks by historians, and there's like a schools festival, and there's living history demonstrations, and they do things like they, they, they build a sort of period authentic World War I trench, and then, then there's like Vikings doing stuff, and there's like demonstrations of medieval trebuchets, there's cannon being fired, there's fly pass from World War II era planes. It's the, it's the Mac Daddy of history festivals, if people still use that phrase. I don't know if they do. I do. I am. Um, I was there, and there was a lot of the old reenactors and young reenactors. There was what you might call cosplay in a fantasy context, um, but it's more serious than play, often. Um, anyway, there were there were there were guys and girls from all over history. You had a thousand years and more of uh, of reenactors there and it got me to thinking let's just say and actually well I'll develop this in a minute let's just say all those reenactors the warrior reenactors from all these different periods of history let's just say they had a like a royal rumble WWE style who's coming out on top um, you know if, if we can if we can add some sort of limiting factors so that the, the, the toughest warriors in history aren't just the modern US uh, or any nuclear-armed power. If, we, if, if, you know, all things being equal, pound for pound, as they say in boxing, who's the toe the toughest warriors in history? That's what I got to thinking. In fact, I have been wondering this over the years, and once I asked a reenactor, hey man, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, you guys all had a fight in the American Civil War, people fought the English Civil War people, and the World War I Tommies fought the, you know, the Vikings, the Anglo-Saxons, like, got got busy against the Mongols and all that, all that. I said, wouldn't that be so cool? And then the reenactor once told me, oh no, that happens. Like, it's the end of the season. We have, we do have a Royal Rumble. However, I never followed up on where and when that happens. If anyone knows, please tell me, because I want to, I want to go and see it. I want to write about it. Anyway, in the meantime, I asked you guys, or I asked the paid subscribers, 
uh, who you thought were the hardest, toughest, meanest, baddest warriors in history. My instinct was going to be either the modern US or um, the Romans. You know, Rome sort of second the second rumble with the Carthaginians that feels to me like a time when Rome was really getting busy uh, and you do well anyone's going to do well to beat, beat those guys hey there was actually the, the, sorry not a, not really a tangent um, there was a TV show wasn't there a few years ago that sort of dramatised this in the crassest way possible was it called Ultimate Warrior no I don't think it was I forget what it was called. You'll know it if you know it. It it was it was garbage. It was trash. It was so entertaining. Um and it took, you know, sort of known hard nuts like hard nut tribes and people from out throughout history and pitched them against each other in a sort of super trashy US sports commentary kind of scenario. And uh all I can remember about it, and it would be like, you know, Vikings versus Mongols or whatever. All I can remember about it is the last episode in the season. Whether it was it a final? Was it the final? Was it a knockout tournament? It may or may not have been. I don't know that it was. But the, the finale of the season um, was Taliban versus IRA. And this was, this would then be dramatised in like a <laughs> super crass way. And I can remember the... Ta- you can't get it on YouTube. I've looked and looked for this on YouTube. It's, it's not there. Um, or there's a bit of it on, in the context of, a, like, Charlie Brooker's screen wipe, where Charlie Brooker's just mocking it. Um, so it's not, it's not the full experience. But anyway, the, the finale of this, whatever it was called, thing, uh, programme, let's call it Ultimate Warrior, even though it wasn't called that, uh, was ta- Taliban versus IRA, and there'd be, like, some flimsy analysis but really it's the it's the reenactments and so there was a reenacted fight in which some taliban i think they probably had rpgs suicide belts were running around trying to get busy on some you know 70s era i think possibly early 90s era um irish republican terrorists Wearing balaclavas and camo, it's it's all pretty stereotype bad stuff, um, and I think their fight took them for some reason to a caravan park, and in the end, I think the Irish Republicans lured the Taliban into a caravan and blew it up. I can't remember now. You're getting the impression. You don't need the exact details to understand how. How <laughs> really quite offensive um, this program was. Uh, anyway, here we go. What did you think <laughs> the toughest warriors in history were? Uh, sh- should we do the jokes first? Deb says, "Well, oh, maybe this isn't a joke. Maybe this isn't a joke." <laughs> Deb says, "Suffragettes." I-, I-, I thought it was a joke to start with, but maybe it's not. Maybe the suffragettes really would take on the might of the uh, Roman Republican slash. Uh, early imperial army and win i'm not i think deb might be being slightly facetious even though she's making a good point i think julia deets is definitely being facetious 
as per when she says Facebook moms, but that's literally genuinely funny. Um, <laughs> Jessica Corsi says, uh, one room full of Karens waiting on a manager. Uh, very good. And then Jessica sort of redeems herself by saying, wouldn't mess with the Spartans. Spartans notoriously hard, weren't they? I mean, I've never, I don't know much about the Spartans beyond what I've seen on TV documentaries and like sort of absorbed through um, school and references in popular culture. I mean, I've never sat down and spent several months really reading about the Spartans, but they're kind of known like psychos, aren't they? The 300 and all that stuff. Ellen White says William Marshall. William Marshall on his own uh, would would beat absolutely anybody, no matter how many people were deployed against him in all of history. So that's, yes, that's possible. I think William Marshall would definitely have approved that message, whether or not he could back it up. I'm not sure. Uh, Valerie says you have to distinguish in all this before gunpowder and after gunpowder before gunpowder valerie says she'd like to see mongols versus romans mongols have the edge in ruthlessness romans may be more disciplined lot there's a lot of similarities i think between mongols and romans i think the uh the oh look there's a little tiny lizard i think the um oh where's he gone or she I don't want to be sexist about a lizard. Famously. Um, what was I talking about? Very easy to distract me if I see a reptile. Uh, anyway, yes, I think the Mongols, the, the organisation of the Mongol army uh, was, was part of their, that was like part of their secret source. That mirrored somewhat uh, the, the organisation of the Roman army. I think, do, are we also saying that part of the uh, part of the strength of both Romans and Mongols is their... Um, oh, hold on. I'm going to have to pause this. Give me one hot tick. little domestic duty I had to attend to. Um, that's not a euphemism for using the bathroom. It's, uh, it's just a domestic conversation you didn't need to be privy to. Nothing sinister about it, and it wasn't with the lizard. Um... I think, yeah, are we, are we also saying that part of... There's some dogs barking now. I'm less interested in those than in lizards. Um, the part of the... Uh, well, one of the similarities between Romans and Mongols, I think, some people would argue, is their willingness to meet conquered peoples in the middle, isn't it? Particularly with regards to faith... That's, you know, and culture, that, you know, there's an absorbing process within the, uh, the, the colonial slash imperial project. They're not super dogmatic about certain things. Am I right? Am I on the right path? I don't think it's that germane, maybe, to this, uh, this topic. Let's move on. Um... Anyway, yeah, uh, that's that's Valerie. Valerie wasn't sure if the Mongols used gunpowder, but actually Don Max says that the Mongols use gunpowder extensively. Ah, okay, so 
then Valerie says, forget anything I said about the BG the before gunpowder and after gunpowder thing. All right, we went we went down a little a little rabbit hole there, but that wasn't too bad. Uh, Connor Lassie would like to see Spartans versus Vikings. That's not bad. Have I told you on here? Some people, like the super elite listeners, and this is this is a tiny group, super elite listeners who came to France with me in April will know that in this realm of, for example, Spartans versus Vikings, for quite a long time I was plotting, and I mean that in, uh, in sort of planning sense and in the, uh, the literary sense of writing the plot, of a novel called Nazis versus Tudors. And I was sort of semi-pitching this for a while as well. Uh, and I had a great scene. So the Nazis travel back in time in, in this uh, conceit of mine. Uh, I, I'm sure I'm repeating myself. I've probably told you all this before. I'm so sorry if I'm repeating myself. The Nazis travel back in time to kill Elizabeth I and put a, a, a German on the throne of England. As it turns out, that happened anyway, just a little bit later. Uh, but not important in, in the context of, of this novel. Because all I really wanted to see was uh, a panzer tank thundering off. So the Nazis were going to travel back in time to the time the Spanish Armada, help the Armada win. Uh, and I, what I really wanted to see was a panzer tank roll off a Spanish galleon onto an English beach and just start like and just shoot a shell from its its turret cannon thing. Uh, and blow Sir Francis Drake to bits so his like limbs just flew off everywhere. That was the, that was what I had in mind. And Nazis versus Tudors was uh, was really a vehicle for that that scene. Probably told you that before. Sorry if I have. Um, Jarrah Shea says this question reminds me of the debates we had when I was a boy. Who'd win in a fight? One example was giant shark versus a submarine. Um, well, don't be sleeping on giant shark versus mega octopus or no mega shark versus giant octopus is that what the movie was called um i think it was mega shark versus giant octopus if you haven't seen it go on youtube and have a look at the trailer for that the 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 peak bit is where the mega octopus or giant octopus whatever the fuck it's called um like just pops its tentacle out of the sea and pulls a passenger plane or is it a military plane pulls an airplane out of the sky that's good stuff. Um, Kelly Sadler, the Apache and Comanche would give anyone a run for their money. There are notable similarities in fighting styles with the early caliphs. Okay. Uh, Mauricia says, I'd say the soldiers in World War One. they had to deal with some extraordinary conditions and trench warfare was absolutely gruesome. You have to be pretty tough to survive that. Well, yes, the question was, who are the toughest warriors in history? Who endured the most... Absolute feces conditions. Yeah, that's that's not a bad shout. Uh, Kylin says it would be interesting to see who would win in a fight, the Mongols or the Crusaders. Well, I mean that that's that's not such a hypothetical. Um, the Crusaders basically ran when they saw the Mongols coming. They ran in one of two directions, didn't they? I mean, in the in the twelve twenties, around the time of the Fifth Crusade, when all these rumours start arriving around Damietta that Prester John's on his way or some absolute Don King, not Don King, the boxing promoter, a Don who is a king, 
um, is is coming from the east to help them smash the the Ayubids and so on. They they get very excited and start sending diplomats to try and and persuade the Mongols to help them, and then that goes all the way through to the the fourteenth century. You've, you've still got sort of people hoping against hope that the Mongols might come and help the Crusaders out, but. In general, that's that's not in the, in the Mongol playbook. I think it's not even a question who wins between Mongols and Crusaders. Even the first Crusaders, I think, are doing so well if the Mongols travel back in time about a century. Uh, I, I think, yeah, forget it. Um, Don Max not, isn't forgetting it. Full respect to the Mongols, but I'm giving it to the Crusaders. To fight in full armour in those conditions, make them the hardiest warriors in my book. Feels like one of your metrics, Don Mac, of, uh, of being hard is just being, like, super hot and not complaining about it. Not criticism, just an observation. Um, hum. Few, few shouts for... Uh, the army of modern Ukraine. Um, well, yes. Badass all the way to the ground, says Linda. Uh, who also suggests taking the Mongols' horses away to level things out. <laughs> all right, you take the Mongols' horses away and you take uh, the... What are we taking away? Uh, let's, let's say you've, you were sending back a sort of uh, the SAS <laughs> take all their guns away <laughs> then we'll see shall we um, hmm yes Michelle Marmela Pedro probably the modern US military as they benefit from so many te- technological advances well that, that's, that's the big question isn't it in in levelling out and touched on by taking the Mongols horses away really what is our levelling out mechanism so we can have a pound for pound fight you know what do you what rules do you impose one rule you might impose is uh no re-ups so okay the navy seals can take back you know their frogman gear and some spicy uh automatic weapons they just uh, they just can't take any um ammunition like but besides what they can carry on their persons or any extra, you know, um, what do you call them? Scuba tanks. Then things get a bit more e- even, don't they? I mean, I said, su- but in that, I'm assuming we're sending the Navy SEALs back in time to the 13th century to fight the Mongols, rather than bring the Mongols into the 21st century and equipping them with, you know, like, okay, so what if, uh, in the interest of a fair fight, the Mongols have access to all the same weaponry. Maybe this is the way to do it. You give the Mongols access to, like, the, the full catalogue of NATO uh, arms. Um, and say, you know, take your pick, guys. Everyone, maybe that's the way to level things up. You bring it all into the present day. I don't know. Jeff Carr's simple list. Number one, the World War II Red Army. Number two, the all-volunteer US Modern Army. Number three, the Mongols. No messing about. It's it's a simple one, two, three. I don't mind that at all. 
That's hard to beat the Romans for discipline, says Maureen, and organisation, but I do admire any underdogs who prevailed and emerged victorious against the greater force. Boudicca, Hannibal, says Maureen. Um, ben Neville says the Essex dogs. Thank you, thank you. Um, Mongols says Tamara H. Uh, oh, but also shout out for Hiru Onoda. The Japanese soldier kept waging war long after World War Two was over. That's pretty. That that's kind of tough, isn't it? It's, it's demented as well. Um, and the barbarians says Helen Hodgkiss. Uh, those battle axes would go through anything. So there we have it. I think I think like straw pole, like finger in the wind. Um, finger into the 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 well thermometer into the rectum of history. We're saying the Mongols, basically. But I'm. But where is this? Is this like a home and away fixture? Mongols versus probably the modern U.S. Army. Do we have like a, a seven-game series? Uh, alternating home and away that's probably the way to do it I think alternating home and away and when you arrive in the time in the era of the home side it's only the technology available to the home side at that time right I think that's the way to do it seven game series who wins Mongols or modern US and in the third place playoff, I think we've got the Romans against... Who are the Romans playing for third place? We only had one mention of the, the Red Army, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. I was reading something this week about the, the extent of conscription in the Italian peninsula at the time of the Second Punic War. I think that's what I was reading. And I, it, it definitely felt very, very Soviet-era Second World War Red Army. So, OK, bronze medal match can be Romans versus Red Army. Same thing. Seven-game series. Um, home and away, home and away, home and away. Home and away, home and away, home and away. Home. Um, all right, there you go. QED. That was fun, wasn't it? Um, I'm going to go for a swim. I might, I might drive five minutes and have an iced espresso and a little sort of spinach pa- pastry little pie thing. I need to, I need to buy some tonic water. That's about the extent of my day. I'm reading War and Peace much funnier than anyone people don't talk enough about how amusing and good war and peace is they tend to just go on about how long it is it it's long but man oh man it's amusing and good you know fair play tolstoy um okay i'll see you around the way who knows when we'll meet again that's that's not the lyrics of that song. We'll meet again, who knows where, who knows when. But I know we'll meet again 
some sunny day. Did you find that stirring? I, I found it stirring, but I'm a, a terrible barometer for that sort of thing. Goodbye. <laughs>